On today's episode, beauty can be the death of you. Literally. We're taking an extended stay in Beverly Hills as we find out the price of beauty, or at least the back of a piece of paper that has the price of beauty, with the most iconic glimpse of life after death ever on this week's episode of Popcorn and a Popstar. Welcome back to Popcorn and a Popstar, a movie commentary podcast from a drag pop star's colorful point of view. I'm your drag pop star host, Indies MX Judges Siwa Pop Prince, Bramley Bitch, and your fave DBF. That's Drag Bestie Henny. Oh my gosh, y'all. Episode 5. We are here. I do apologize for last week. I know it was a crazy week for all of us, and me especially, and I just definitely want to say thank you so much for being so patient with me. Juggling a pop star schedule and a podcasting schedule just collided, and I just didn't even see it coming. So thanks for being patient with me on this journey. So this week, we are definitely diving nose deep into one of my favorite, like all-time favorite. Like if you were to ask me what like my top five favorite movies were growing up or the movies that I definitely knew I was a little bit different than the other boys, this movie is top tier five because this movie has so much that just shaped my queer heart from left to right, up and down. And that film is Death Becomes Her. Now, let me just tell you, y'all are in for a treat because this is one of my all-time favorites. I'm so glad I'm finally getting to cover it because like I told you last week, this is one of those movies that I love this movie so much that I want to give it all the justice it can get. So, yes, Death Becomes Her, y'all. Released in July of 1992, this film was directed by Robert Zemeckis and written by Martin Donovan and David Koop. Filmed on a $55 million budget, this film grossed about $149 million worldwide, which is crazy because this movie is so iconic and I see why it made such an impact internationally. This film also won the Oscar for Best Visuals in 1992 and it beat out Batman Returns and Aliens. So two very powerful movies that had a lot of great effects, but this beat it out. So I see why. And speaking of Oscar winners, this film's cast includes three Oscar winners, Meryl Streep, Goldie Hawn, and Sidney Pollack. Some notable faces that we almost got, Kevin Klein actually was slated for the role of Ernest, and it was actually written for him, but due to some like scheduling conflicts between another production, he had to decline it. And also, a young Jeff Bridges auditioned for Ernest as well, but he didn't get the role. As well as Jennifer Jason Lee auditioned for the role of Helen. So, some notable names of the 90s. Also, this film was one of two film releases for Goldie Hawn that year. The other one was House Sitter, which is another funny one that I really, really enjoyed for the time. I think Steve Martin's in that one, if I remember. And finally, in a 2017 Vanity Fair article about the 25th anniversary of this film, it stated that this film was a gay cult classic, and it's a touchstone of the queer community, which I definitely agree. Like, this movie, like I say, is definitely top five movie that I'm like, I know I'm definitely not like the other boys, and I don't like the other things that other boys like, so this is one of those movies that I'm passionate about it because it's so good. And with that, let's push play on Death Becomes Her. 
We open up on Broadway in 1978, and we're seeing people, like, leave this theater just bitching and, like, clamoring about, like, what they're seeing. And they we overhear people talking about how they it was just terrible what they just saw. It was, like, a musical version of Songbird and just how horrible it was. And the actress that was playing her, Madeline Ashton, was just fucking terrible. Like, they're just going on and on as they're like, taxi, taxi, trying to get the taxis. And as they're talking about these things, the camera pans down, and we see a play bill that has the promo photo of the show with Madeline and looking gorgeous as ever like she looks so stunning in this movie she really did and a fun fact for you is that Songbird is actually meant to be a musical reboot version of a Tennessee Williams play, Sweet Bird of Youth. And in this particular show, it was basically going to be revolving around an aging actress who was trying to like get her youth back and all that fun stuff, which is if you think about it, foreshadowing. We open up on Madeline Ashton herself looking glorious in this like blue, like ice blue crystal gown. It's so luxe. It's so fierce. And we open up with the opening song. I don't know if it's the opening song, but it's the song that we get like introduced to. And it's called Me. Now, before we get into it, let me just say this song was written by Alan Menken, who was Disney's golden child of the day. Like he wrote songs for like Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, Little Mermaid, like so many Disney movies of the 90s. I'm sure Alan Menken has written a song in any movie you've watched in the 90s from Disney. But back to what I was saying. Bitch, this was the song that I knew damn well. I am not like the other boys. I loved this opening sequence so much. I wanted to be Madeline Ashton. I wanted to be the backup dancers. I wanted all the sparkle, all the shimmy. I actually wanted the little um little seat that they had too, like a little like theater seat kind of thing that was spun around. It was so fierce. This production was everything. And I remember like being really young and asking my grandma for like a tambourine once I was able to like actually soak in this movie. And I'm like, I need a tambourine so I can do the and I would literally, every time I watched it, would just get my little tambourine and I would just be shimmy shaking. And let me just tell you, it was one of those scenes that, baby, I knew I was a different breed of boy. I'll tell you that much. So as this is going on, we see, like, the crowd just not into it. Like, everybody's, like, sleeping or they're, like, leaving. And we see, like, two people in the audience in the very far back. And it's, like, a homely, like, Goldie Hawn and, like, a homely Bruce Willis. But they are just, like, enthralled with the show. Bruce Willis more so because he is literally just like, <gasps> she's so stunning. And Goldie Hawn's just kind of like, okay, Madeline, girl. So after the show is over, we officially meet Madeline, and now we learn that she's an aging actress who is hung up on her beauty and vanity. Again, foreshadowing girl. And her assistant comes in, and she's just like, oh, hey, by the way, there's like a Helen Sharp and like a guest who wants to see you. And Madeline is just like, oh, okay, well, how does she look? And the assistant's like, oh, she looks fine. And Madeline's like, what? Compared to who, bitch? Like, know your place. And so it's so funny because she goes into this mode where I think we've all kind of done this. Like her assistant goes to the door and Madeline is just sitting there just like glamming herself up kind of sort of. And then she does this like, 
like like fake excitement, like open the door and like, oh my God. Like she was going to just fake it till she made it. But it's so funny because like that always just made me laugh because she just does that. And then when she opens the door, it's like the most over the top, like, oh my God, Helen, it's so good to see you, girl. Oh my God. Like it was one of those, like the most. And it's in this scene that we learn that Helen is an aspiring writer and her fiance, Ernest Menville, is one of Beverly Hills' top surgeons. And it's just like an odd pairing, but it's not because a writer and a doctor, that's a really cool pairing. I mean, they'll both be very rich if they were to be together. But Madeline has other plans. She is basically just up and down, just like, oh, you're a surgeon. Do I need a consultation? Like, and am I going to need you sometime soon? Just, just being like the most like flirtatious with Ernest right in front of Helen. Like, she's in the room. Girl, have some decency. So right there, you can already tell something's about to happen. So shortly after they meet, we are at a eyelid procedure with Ernest and his team. And lo and me fucking hold, Madeline comes walking, like not walking in, but she's like at the top of the door. She's like, hello, the door with flowers and shit and like champagne. And it's like, girl, just doing the most. And it's like, he's at work. Like, you don't just do that kind of stuff. You don't just show up at someone's job with champagne and flowers. Like, to me, who does that? Psychopaths, that's who. And so, like, that night, Helen is just pissed off right now because she is like, I knew this shit was gonna happen. This is why I wanted you to meet her before we got married. And I put you up to a test. And it's at this kind of moment that Helen knows Madeline's, like, strategies and, like, how Madeline does things. And she was just telling Ernest, like, please don't fail this test. I love you so much. Please don't let me down. And Ernest is just like, sweetie, I love you. And I have no interest in Madeline Ashton. And then we cut to their wedding. And it's like Madeline and Ernest are just bride and groom, girl. And... It's in this moment that we see Helen's true colors come out because she's kind of just comes out of the shadows and is just squeezing this handkerchief. Like when she was telling him, please don't fail this test, she was just squeezing it and it wasn't that bad. But like as this wedding is happening, she is squeezing so tight that her fists start bleeding. And it's like, damn girl, like you could tell it takes a lot for someone to get to that level. And we see the after effect of it. Because it's like seven years later and we see that Helen has really let herself go. Like she's become that like obese crazy cat lady and all she does is live off of Betty Crocker cake frosting. And she's got a cupboard, like, full of it. Every flavor you could think of, she has it. So that's literally all she does now is just sit around the house and eat cake frosting. Which, in moderation, sweetie, but girl... It was a lot of Betty Crocker in that cabinet. And as she is settling down to watch, I don't know, what's on TV, we see that it's actually a movie with Madeline. And let's just say it like this. It was one of those earlier movies of Madeline's that she is like a heroine or something of that caliber. And we see Helen just watching it like something's gonna happen. And we see Madeline actually get murdered in this actual scene that she's watching. And Helen is just seething in it. She's like, yes. Like she is just ear to ear grinning and watching Madeline just 
die on camera. And it's just one of those things that you can kind of see the psychopathic level that Helen is at right now because she is just rewinding it and watching it. And in the midst of all this, the landlord comes and he's like, hey, Helen, you know, you need to pay your rent because you're like late as fuck. And I've got the cops here. If you don't pay, you're going, you know, we're going to evict you. And she's, she pays them no mind. She just rewinds it back and turns the volume up. And it, 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 at one point it gets so bad that they are literally beating the door so hard that like pictures and things are falling off the wall. And she is just still in her own world, just watching Helen just die on this movie. And basically gets to the point where they kick the door in and have to physically remove her from the apartment. And it's so funny because, again, her psychopathic level right now is just beyond everything because she is just watching this scene of her just die as she's getting pulled out of the apartment she is just watching Madeline just choke and just gasp for her last breath of air and just still just smiling ear to ear all psychopathically and they finally get her out of the apartment and we move on to find out that she is actually in a mental institution now like she is just with a few other ladies and we see the doctor going around like the group therapy circle like everybody do you want to talk about anything today? Like, what do you want to talk about? And the doctor gets to Helen. <laughs> and it's so funny because Helen is just, she's just sitting there with her little handkerchief, just twisting it kind of thing. And the doctor's like, how about you, Helen? You haven't really said anything today. Who do you want to talk about? And Helen's just in this deadpan face. She's just like, I want to talk about Madeline Ashton. And this triggers the entire group therapy. All of the girls start freaking out, which amidst of all this craziness going on, we see a notable cameo from Miss Deborah Jo Rupp, who was Kitty from that 70s show and in the recent Netflix reboot, that 90s show. But these patients are losing their goddamn minds because Helen is just talking about Madeline Ashton. And the doctor has, at this point, had it officially she pulls her into an office and she's like is this where we are helen girl it has been six months you have not lost any weight and we are still talking about madeline ashton and helen's just like uh, uh yeah this is where we're at <laughs> and it's just one of those things that the doctor's like girl you gotta get over this chick like you do not need to let her overpower you like this you need to eliminate her and that just that word right there just triggers something in Helen because she's like, oh, yeah, you're right, right. And just walks off. And the doctor's like, what the fuck just happened? So we go seven more years and we are in basically present day and we meet present day Ernest and present day Madeline. So we're going to see that that they are living large in charge in Beverly Hills, actually. Yes. And they are living in this gorgeous mansion. Like the mansion is very 90s. Like it reminds me of like something you would see in like Clueless or like Beverly Hills 90210 or even like Fresh Prince. I don't know, but it's just a fancy 90s rich house and we see like a delivery being dropped off and a fun fact this exterior of this house was actually shot on location and is actually still located in San Marino California but the interior of the house was a set kind of like how Clue was how Clue had like the physical building on location and then the inside was like a set that's kind of how this was like this inside was an, a whole set which again it was a nice house like I wanted to live in this house that was like top two houses I wanted to live in growing up because it was just so luxe. 
So we see that Madeline's assistant from the 70s is actually her maid now. And time has definitely passed. She's definitely gotten a little older. And so has Madeline. Madeline, she doesn't look as, you know, dapper as she did in the past few scenes we've seen her in. And we still learn that Madeline's still very narcissistic and very vain because, like, as her maid is, like, opening up the curtains and, like, opening up the bedroom, Madeline's like, hey, you didn't say it today. And, like, her maid's just like, well, it's only Tuesday. And Madeline's like, you need to say it every fucking day. I need to hear it every day. And then her maid's just like, oh, madam, you're so beautiful. Like, you haven't aged a day. Just blowing smoke up Madeline's ass for sure. And Madeline's just like, oh, my God, thank you. You're so nice to say that. And in the midst of all this, she sees that she has an invitation for Ernest and her to go to this book release party for Helen Sharp. And the book is actually called Forever Young, which this line always got me. I still say this to this day, too. She's just like, oh, the book's called Forever Young. Yeah, and it's certainly fat. Like, just reading, reading Helen, like, from afar. It was the funniest thing ever. And, like, we in this moment, learn that Madeline and Ernest, their relationship is crap. Because Helen looks over and she's just like, oh, he made his side of the bed. Did he leave early? And the maid's like, no, he's up in his office. And she's like, again, just just unbothered by the fact that he is not in bed with her because this is basically where their relationship is. Like he is in his office and basically gets super drunk and just passes out there. So she basically is like, okay, cool, whatever. I'm going to start my day. You go get him up. And it's in this moment that we do see a passed out Ernest. And we learn that he is like an alcoholic AF because basically the maid gives him like a Bloody Mary like first thing in the morning. And the first thing out of his mouth is like, oh God, this is disgusting. It needs more vodka. And it's like, ooh, girl, it is 8 a.m. in the morning. And so we learn that he is now an undertaker at a funeral home. So apart from not being a surgeon anymore, he's forced to basically work on dead cadavers and he doesn't get to do his dream job which is one of those things that's kind of sad because just he used to be such a great surgeon and now he's an undertaker and I mean that's a huge gap in careers I think but while he is at work Madeline goes to a health spa which in California it's really like a cosmetic surgery spa and it's like a real prestige like place where Madeline like walks in and like it's guards and elevators and gates and you have to go through like a multitude of things just to get to where you're going and as we're getting to like oh the room we just see the craziest shit in this spa like we see this person on a rotating table getting lord knows what i don't even i try to pause it and see what's happening but it's just too hard to like decipher and we finally get to the room and we learn that Madeline cannot get any more surgeries or any more cosmetic like procedures because she just had one three weeks ago. And the receptionist is just like, I could do your makeup and give you like a collagen boost. And Madeline's just like, that doesn't fucking work anymore. So pressed, so pressed. And it's just one of those things that we kind of learn that Madeline is so vain obsessed that she is literally going like every single week to get something done you know to each their own I mean I get lip fillers every now and then so I mean I am not like vanity obsessed but it's just it gives a little more of an illusion you know when I'm on stage and it's nice to have in real life 
And as they are talking about different procedures that Madeline can't get, we meet Mr. Chagall. Now, Mr. Chagall just phantoms in. Like, there's no way he got past them without anybody noticing. Like, basically, they do a really cool camera trick and they, like, start from one end of the room and kind of circle around and then, like, as they get past a character, he's just there. And he startles, like, the receptionist because the receptionist is so funny. She's got, like, this, like, French accent. She's... I don't I can't do a French accent, but she has this, like, French accent. Like, you know, I could give you a collage en bouche, all of that. And basically, Mr. Chagall comes in. She's like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Like, you scared me so much. Like, just... She goes from, like, this fake French accent to like this California Valley girl so quickly and it was just always so funny to me because she she did she was like I'm from France and then she's just like oh my god so Mr. Chagall basically tells Madeline that I couldn't overhear you saying that you needed some work done and money was no object kind of thing and she's just like that wasn't a joke he's like okay so he basically ends up giving her this card to a friend of his, Lisa Von Ruman, who is a mysterious woman. And he basically is like, they can help you in anything that you need. Like, basically, they can do what this place can't do. And we do learn that he's not only a representative, he's like a client because he just like, he fidgets with his eye the entire time. It's like his eyes about to fall out of his skull. And he's just like, nope, we got to push it back in. So it's like, that's always one thing that always like stuck out to me is that he always is like moving his eye and keeping it from falling out of his head. And Madeline just being like, Madeline's like, okay, yeah, sure, whatever. And just like rips it in half and throws it in her purse and kind of leaves it at that. So while I go get a touch up from some lip doctors down the hall, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. are back so we are now on our way to the book release and madeline and ernest are just in the limo quiet as ever not talking and ernest is just breathing so deep he's just like and madeline is just like can you just not fucking breathe like stop just so pressed and so plugged and this goes to show you their relationship is literally like it's so that it's very that so as they get there, Ernest quickly makes his way to the bar and orders his drink. And as he's sitting there, this lady comes up and she's like, are you Ernest Menville? And he's like, yeah. And she's just like, oh my gosh, you did such a great job on my aunt Loretta. Like she died like, you know, two years ago and she looked so good. Like what's your secret? And in true tea, he's just like, I just use mannequin paint. Like basically gives her like the schematics of why he does it and how he does it. And just, it makes sense in the like mortuary world because you know, you really can't just put makeup on a dead corpse it just doesn't really work so he basically tells her this and she is just mortified like basically you would have thought he told her yeah i played a game of clue on your dead aunt's body and it was just like girl as latrice royale would say five g's good god girl get a grip it was not that deep 
So as they're getting settled, Madeline and Ernest are just kind of like, okay, well, Helen's not here, and I don't even know like why we're still here. And Madeline is more still because she's just like, girl, she can't even show up to her own damn party. Like, why are we even here if she can't be here? And as she's saying that, she looks over and she sees this like bigger woman with like, you know, a bob and like homely clothes, very much reminiscent to like previous Helen. And she's like, oh, there she is. And she hasn't lost a damn pound. And as she's saying this, this woman moves to like the side and we see, oh my God, a red haired, just tiny waisted, gorgeous Goldie Hawn. Now, let me tell you, I know Goldie Hawn is a blonde for life, but baby, when I tell you she looked so good with this red hair, I lived. I loved her in this red hair. But basically, it's one of those things that she just clutches her fucking pearls. And, like, let me just say, if Madeline could have shit on that red carpet event floor, she would have. Because she was like, oh, wow, like, she looks amazing and I look like crap. She she knew. She knew something was going to happen. So she, like, basically was like, I'll go talk to her, Ernest. You go to the bar. I'll talk to her. And it's just so funny because we get another, like, quotable, notable line that, like, I feel like I say this, like, on a daily. I'm not going to say this in, like, a shady way, but, like, you know, you know the tone of it. But basically, Madeline walks up to Helen, and Helen's just like, oh, my gosh, I didn't think you would come. My assistant was like, Madeline Ashton would go to the opening of an envelope. Just the shadiest read ever. So basically, at this point, Helen's like, listen, Madeline, we have passed and it's just time to let it go. Like, I'm not upset with you at all because at the end of the day, you didn't steal Ernest from me. Like, he went to you. Like, it wasn't you. It was him because he's a man. And just basically, Madeline didn't even apologize for his shit. And Helen's like, I forgive you. And it's just kind of like, okay, girl. Something's happening. Something's up. Because if this were me in the situation, I'd be like, I didn't do anything or say anything to be apologizing for. But, like, Madeline gets her kind of, like, sabotage revenge where she goes to the bar. And we see the lady who was asking Ernest about, you know, her aunt. And another lady. And it's just one of those things that they're just like, how does she look so good for her age? And Madeline's like, oh, she's fucking 50. Like, mm, trying to like, trying to shade her in front of these women. And they're like, oh, she's 50. Oh my God. What is her secret? And they just walk away. And what's really funny about like that particular notion is that even though the characters were supposed to be like 50-year-old women, both Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn were actually in their 40s when they shot this film. So they weren't really like too much older than the characters, but they weren't 50 themselves. So makeup definitely did play a role in aging them in the 90s. And it's in this moment that we actually see Helen and Ernest talking, and this just sparks some shit with Madeline. So she just walks over and just starts eavesdropping, and... Helen just basically sympathizes with Ernest at this point because she's just like, you know, you used to be a different person and I just, it sucks that this is what she's done to you. And it's just kind of one of those things that she kind of flips the script on what she said to Madeline. And basically, this is like the reality of it. She's just like, you didn't leave me, Ernest. She stole you. Like, it's not you. It was fucking her. Like, basically just 
gaslighting the fuck out of both people. And we realize that, yeah, it's Madeline's fault as to why Ernest is the way he is. And it's just kind of, like, sad to see that he went from being this, like, top doctor to just, like, being, again, an undertaker for a funeral parlor. So later that night, Madeline, like, sneaks out, and she goes over to her fuckboy's house, and his name is Dakota, and let me just tell you, Dakota was sexy. He looked like a, like a general hospital or, like, a 90s soap star character. Real handsome, real pretty, nice body, too. And she gets there, and she realizes that he's not alone. She realizes that there's another person in that house with him and sees like this naked outline of this pretty skinny, like really gorgeous blonde haired girl. And she's just like, oh, you're not alone. And Dakota's just like, oh, she's a friend and she's helping me do stuff. And that's when Madeline's just like, you know what? I'm tired of your bullshit. And in turn, Dakota's like, you know what? I'm tired of your bullshit because truth be told, I'm doing you a favor. Like I'm in my like early 20s and you're like 50 years old fucking with me and basically he tells her like people think we look so weird in person like people ask me if you're my mom or my grandma that makes me feel so weird like so go fuck with somebody your own age madeline like just the shade and reading her and i mean he's not wrong like basically she wants to get mad at him for having a side piece when he's the side piece so Yeah, this crushes little Madeline and she just decides, I'm gonna just drive. Which, where she's driving, Lord knows where. Because it is like pouring down rain and she is just swerving in and out of traffic. Like, where are the Beverly Hill cops? No pun intended. But, like, she is. She's just swerving and damn near rear-ends somebody. And in the midst of all this, she's like, I need a tissue. I'm just so emotional. And in that moment, she dumps her purse out and sees the ripped-up card that Mr. Chagall gave her, like, earlier in the film. So she pieces it together and realizes, okay, here is an address. Let's just go here and just see what this person has to offer me. As Madeline is on her way to Liesel's house, Helen is just, like, planning to prey on, like, a vulnerable Ernest at this point. Like, she's, like, spraying, like, air in her eye, and she's just like, where's Madeline? I need to talk to her. Like, like, basically putting on a show, like, trying to make herself cry on purpose and just trying to get, like, a good convincing story down so he'll let her in. And once she gets that, she's just like, all right, let's go. And as she leaves the room, we just see this, like, hate memorabilia wall that is in Helen's room. It has pictures of them when they were younger with like the eyes cut out, like a picture of her poster and it is like dashed and like gashed out. Amidst all that, there's like this sign that just says never again above her mirror. So psychotic. Like I I was like, this woman is going to kill her. Like, if this wasn't, like, a comedy movie, this would definitely be the single white female, like, she's gonna kill her kind of situation. So Madeline comes upon Liesel's mansion and just basically knocks on the door and the guy's like, oh, we know why you're here. Come on in. And she's like, oh, okay. And it's in this moment we meet her bodyguards, which are, oof, some sexy bodybuilder types, like just real long-haired, beefy some bitches, like, ooh. And ironically, their names are Tom, Dick, and Harry, which are the three most common names ever for the 90s or in general. But I just always thought it was funny. Like Tom, Dick, and Harry. 
And we also meet Liesl's two Dobermans, the big babies. And they're just good babies. Like, they so trained. And I know they're meant to be, like, killer dogs, but I would definitely try to be like, can I pet your dog, please? So we get further into the house. And we meet Liesl officially. Now, Liesl is played by 90s Italian-American model actress Isabella Rosalini. And I absolutely think she is so gorgeous. I never really knew who she was besides this movie, but I always thought she was just so beautiful and just so stunning for just who she was. And I always loved her accent, too. So Liesl basically starts telling Madeline about how she's cheated life and her eternal youth secret and how she's basically like changed the natural law of her life. And it's just kind of one of those things that at one point Liesl's like, Madeline, how old do you think I am? And, and Madeline's like, I don't know, like 38. And you just see her give her the shittiest look like what? Which is really funny because... Isabella Rosalini was actually 39 when they shot this movie, so I don't know if that was shade or whatnot, but yeah, it's just funny to me that that's why she gave her a crappy look, because she's like, oh, okay. So while this is all happening, Helen makes her way to Madeline's mansion and basically persuades Ernest, like, can you just let me in? Like, I'm looking for Madeline and I need to talk to her. Just all sad and like, boo-hoo pity. And he's like, she ain't here. And she's like, oh, thank God. And it's in this moment that she tries to like throw herself on Ernest. She's like, tell me to leave, please. Like, I need to go. You make me feel so horny. And it's just kind of one of those things that Ernest is kind of like, Oh, okay. So that's going on. And we go back to Liesl's mansion and she is just continuing to kind of sell Madeline on this potion. And we actually get to see the potion itself. And Liesl brings this huge like Egyptian looking box and just opens it with this really cool dagger. And it just is like colorful, shiny, sparkly pink potion in this gorgeous vial. Like I remember I wanted that vial. I'm like I don't even want the potion. I just want the vial because it looked like a really fierce like perfume bottle, but it wasn't. So in this moment, Liesl basically wants to show Madeline the powers of this potion. So she stabs her in like the hand and as she's bleeding kind of thing, she puts like dabble on this knife and puts it into Madeline's like bloodstream. And it's in this moment that Madeline sees like, oh my, this hand's pretty and this hand's not. And Isabella Rosalini's character is like, this is what this potion does, girl. Drink it and you'll never die and you'll be beautiful forever. And it's really funny because when Madeline's like, well, how much is this going to cost? She's just like, oh, well, it's different for everybody. And Madeline's like, well, what is it for me? And Liesl, like, writes a number on a piece of paper. And we don't see it. She just holds it up. And Madeline's like, oh, okay, I'm going to leave. And basically, it's just kind of one of those things that we never see how much it actually is worth. And I've always kind of wanted to, like, know. So I did some digging. I did some digging for y'all. Rover reporting for the podcast. Who does that? So I actually found out that in a surfaced prop check for the film, we see that Madeline paid $1 million for this potion. And I'll post that picture on the podcast, Graham, because... It's interesting. It's like an actual, like, it has their name and Beverly Hills and all that fun stuff. But yeah, this is what she paid for it. So the mystery is solved of what Madeline Ashton paid for her potion. It was $1 million. So the transaction happens and 
Madeline is like, bottoms up, let me take this potion. And she takes the potion and we get the infamous line and you can say it with me. Now a warning! Like, Isabella Rosalini's character is just like, yeah, here's the rundown of why you took the potion and what's going to happen now. And we learn that she has 10 years to live, like, successfully. Like, she can do whatever she wants for 10 years. But after that, Madeline, you got to go into retirement. You got to, like, fake your own death. Or you got to be, like, one of my other clients and just be like, I want to be alone. Don't bother me. And that actual person that she is referring to is Greta Garbo. Fun fact, I didn't know that. And as she is basically telling her these rules, she gives her this, like, little pin on her lapel. And it's like, here you go. Siempre vive. Live forever, girl. And that's, like, a little saying we're going to revisit later in the movie. So put a pin in that one. So as Madeline is getting ready to leave, her transformation just begins. So we see... That she is getting a butt lift, a boob lift, a facial youth regeneration, like more flowier, luxurious hair, just the works. And she's just like, I'm a girl. She is just like, I'm back to who I was. And a fun behind the scene fact, a pneumatic bra was actually built to like give that illusion of the boobs like getting higher and moving as she transformed. But the producer thought it looked really stupid. So in hindsight, he got Meryl Streep's dresser to just be off camera and like push her boobs up into position for that particular scene. So I never knew that, but it's fun to know that that's how movie magic works. So we go back to the mansion and Helen and Ernest are just getting it on. Like, they're not having sex or anything, but they are just hardcore, like, macking it up on the couch. And it's at that point that Helen's like, I have to stop because I basically am, I'm too weak to be around you because you make me feel some sort of way. And it's in this moment that Helen sympathizes with Ernest because she realizes that Madeline is just... Madeline, and she knows about their loveless relationship, and Ernest is just kind of like trying not to show that he knows. But Helen is just like, I know about her side pieces. Everybody does, and I'm sure you do too. And Ernest is kind of like, how do you know about him? And Helen is just like, girl, everybody knows about this. So it's kind of one of those things that she kind of proposes this plan to Ernest. Like, let's just kill Madeline. Let's just get her out of the way, and we can be together. And Ernest is just kind of like, uh... Are you sure? What are we talking about? And it's in this moment that we get this like dreamlike fantasy sequence of her proposing this idea to Ernest. And it's just the funniest thing because this involves Ernest poisoning wine glasses in the middle of the night. Now, I know this is a dream sequence, but why the hell is Bruce Willis in a white tuxedo at 3 a.m.? Like, I feel this is the middle of the night. I feel that a robe or something would have, like, sufficed and, you know, a fancy robe. But no, he's, like, in a tuxedo at 3 a.m. just coating these glasses with Narconol. And it's in, quote-unquote, in this next day that Helen calls Madeline and is like, I'm leaving. Can I come to dinner? And Madeline's like, yeah, girl, come to dinner in my treat. And so, basically, we see Madeline at the end of the table by herself, and she takes a sip of wine and just kills over. And 
as this happens, the camera just jets down this long ass like table to see that Helen and Ernest are at the opposite end facing each other. So like even in this fantasy, you know shit's going on and that it's just nuts from the get go. So after dinner, they take Madeline's like lifeless body up to the Hollywood Hills and call the police and say, oh, hey, there's like a drunk woman up here. Like, come get her. And they put her body in the car and proper foot on the on the gas pedal and then basically send her over the cliff and car explodes and she is just dead. Like, she ain't coming back from that kind of thing. And by the time that the coroners got to Madeline's body, they were like, oh, yeah, no, she's just a drunk driver because the Narconal would have worn off by this point. So... It's a traceless drug. They wouldn't have been able to find it. So Madeline's dead. Ernest and Helen can start their life all over again. And that's the end. Or so we think. Ernest is like, what are we talking about? Like, we're talking about killing somebody. I'm not down with that. Like, you may be down with that, but I'm not down with that. So... In the midst of all that happening, Madeline comes home and is just luxuring herself, just like in the mirror, just, I'm so beautiful. Mm." And she's just so much in love with herself at this point because she basically, it's like she basically got like a bunch of Botox, a facelift, some filler, and she is just a whole new person. She is just living, loving herself. And it's in this moment that she basically drives right past Helen, who is just at the front of the gate, just just slinking, just drives right past her, not even seeing her. And then she gets inside and walks right past Ernest, who's in the living room, just loving herself still. And it's just like, this is where we're at. So while I go raid the refrigerator, because I know there's some good stuff in this rich people's house's refrigerator, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. back now madeline is upstairs just glamming for the gods like she is just in her own damn world as usual and it's at this point that she is just living loving and getting her life at this point and it's funny because she puts on this like simple black long sleeve bodysuit and like this really pink sheer mesh like kimono robe type cover-up which not gonna lie it was really cute but over a simple black bodysuit. All my Drag Race fans already know. Michelle's would read her. Girl! So as she's leaving, Ernest confronts her about like her adultery. And he's just like, you know, I know about this person. And you're just a tramp. And that's all you do with XYZ. And just calling her all these like crazy names. Which... At this point, Madeline's like, oh, you want to play this game? You want to throw some fucking stones? Let's play this game. So she basically, like, throws back the shade right back. She's just like, you're nothing but a boozing, flaccid undertaker. Girl, bye. Don't try this with me. And it basically, like, pushes him over the edge to the fact that he ultimately grabs her by the neck and is like, I'm just going to fucking throw you down the stairs. And she basically, like, is so rattled that... She, like, like semi-apologizes, and he's like, I can't do this, I can't do this. And she, at that point, is just hovering over the staircase at this point. And she's like, will you just help me? Like, help me, please. And he's like, um... Like, it's at this point where he actually just 
taps her chest and she goes flying down the stairs like body is just every which way neck is broken and she ends up a little like rolled up ball at the end of the stairs and he's like oh damn I didn't mean to do that so he basically ends up going and calling Helen like right away he's like Helen I killed her I did this and Helen's just like um, what part of the plan weren't you clear on, Ernest? You were just supposed to poison the wine glasses tonight, not kill her. And she basically realizes, like, oh, shit, you called me. The police aren't going to like that, so we need to come up with a plan as to why you're calling me. And so it's in this moment that him and Helen are on the phone just chatting. And in the background, Madeline is, like, resurrecting and, like, waking up and just kind of, like, walking all crazy like she's drunk. Like, she just took, like, a dab and trying to walk across the street. Just messy. And she comes toward the light, and we realize that her neck is, like, 360. So, basically, her neck is snapped to the back, and she's walking backwards. And that just right there was crazy crazy to see because I'd never seen anything like that as a kid so I thought this scene right there was like this is the craziest thing ever and this scares the shit out of Ernest which it scared the shit out of me too but fun fact this visual effect was pulled off by having Meryl Streep wear like this blue like hoodie over her like head and walk backwards and then they superimposed her head facing the way it needed to be facing to make it look like that. So that's how they achieved this practical effect, which is really cool to know, because movie magic in the 90s was crazy. Like, I remember this show on, like, Discovery Channel, and it was about movie magic. It came on, like, Sundays, and I remember, like, watching that on, like, Syndicate kind of thing. It was always really, really cool, but I digress. So Madeline, at this point, realizes that her neck is absolutely broken because she can see her own ass and she's just like, I think something's wrong with me. Like, what is going on? And it's at this point that Ernest just rushes her to the ER and is like, she's gonna die. She's on death's door. We need to see a doctor. And the doctor comes in like, you need to calm the hell down. Like, we'll figure this out. Calm it down. And fun notable cameo, the doctor is actually Sidney Pollack, who is Will's dad from Will and Grace. If So if you watch that show, you know exactly who this man is. I love him. And as he's examining her, he definitely realizes something's wrong because he quickly realizes that she has a protruding bone in her neck, no heartbeat, and her body temperature is below 30, which I don't think that's actually possible but yeah he wants to go get a second opinion on that and he just basically leaves the room so Ernest at this point is like well the doctor's wrong the doctor's crazy let me try I'm a doctor and Madeline is just like leave me alone like he is not right like there's no possible way he could be right because if he was right I feel like I would be dead and she just doesn't want to believe that at this moment and Ernest basically realizes that you technically are dead because you're going against every natural law of life and you just you shouldn't be here right now. So he freaks out and just leaves the room too. And Madeline passes the hell out. She's like, I can't deal with this. So she passes out. And it's just really crazy because he is just going through the hospital trying to find a doctor. And as he's running through the hospital, he sees the ER doctor that was just in the room with him, literally on an ER table going into cardiac arrest. So it's one of those things that's like, well, he can't help us now. And as he runs out to the waiting room, he sees like a bunch of other people who are like half dead. Like he sees a tennis player who has literally bones protruding out of his knees and a party goer who has like a cork in his eye 
And there's some guy in the back. I couldn't really like see what he was, but I'm sure that he was dead too. And in this moment, we got another fun, notable cameo, which really isn't a cameo. It just happened to be on the TV. But we see Kurt Russell on a late night talk show. And again, another fun fact, Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell, they have been a Hollywood couple since 1983, but they've never officially gotten married. They've just been together forever and I absolutely love that and it was crazy to know that they weren't married because I thought they'd been married this entire time and nope they've never been married they just have been a Hollywood couple this I don't know how long but they've been together for at least 30 plus years so upon all of this happening he basically goes back into the room and is like looking for Madeline because Madeline's gone. There's just a nurse there now. And the nurse is like sir I'm so sorry she died and he's like she's not dead and she is just like, no, sir, your wife is dead. And he's like, no, she's not dead. Where is she? And she's like, she's in the morgue. And he's like, oh, she's going to have a fucking fit. And just bolts to the morgue because he knows Madeline's going to wake up and be like, uh-oh. So as he's like running to the morgue, he runs into these like nuns who are like, I don't want to say they're ghostly entities, but they're just floating ghosts, just kind of floating nuns down the hallway, which... Is symbolic, I don't know, to like Grim Reaper or something of that caliber, but it was just really creepy to me. So once he gets to like the actual morgue, he hears Madeline just like tapping on the, the door like, um, I'm in here. And he finds her and is just like, listen, I think I figured it out. This is basically God's way of saying that we need to restore our relationship and still be together and rekindle our love. And Madeline's like, I don't think that's why I'm here. But Ernest is in his own world like, okay, girl, pop off, sis. You believe what you want to believe. But Madeline's like, "Mm -mm, I don't think that's it. So we then see Helen just camping out of the mansion. And we find out that she is basically waiting for Ernest to get home. And she sees them pull up and is like, oh, why is Madeline in the front seat like looking like shit? And she basically realizes that Ernest is doing something funny with Madeline. So she ultimately is like, okay, I need to know what's going on. So as Ernest is leaving, she follows him to the funeral home and realizes that Ernest is actually getting supplies like formaldehyde and chemicals to preserve a body. And is just now like, why the hell do you need all this stuff? And why does Madeline look like shit kind of thing? So we go back to the mansion and we just see Ernest is just spray painting Madeline's legs and making it all nice. And she looks like a Barbie doll, like real, like real plastic life in plastic is fantastic. And it basically just gives her like a forever spray tan at this point, which I wish I only wish. But like in this moment too, like the phone is just going off and off and off. And Madeline is like, who in the hell is calling this late at night? And not even like really knowing. Ernest is like, I don't need, I can't deal with this shit. And just like rips the core out of the out of the phone and just and then as he's painting her, like makeup wise, he messes up in some shape or form. Like I think like her eyelid or something. And it's like, I need to go get paint thinner from the garage. So you need to just stay here and, you know, wait for me to come back. So as he goes downstairs, she just sees Helen just standing there 
creepy as fuck, if you ask me. Just standing there with, like, shovel and this, like, crazy, like, bee hat. And she's just like, I know Madeline is upstairs. We are going to bury her in Death Valley, you and I, and just get fucking rid of her once and for all. And Ernest is like, we can't do that because she's not really dead. And I can't explain right now, but I'll call you tomorrow. We'll talk tomorrow. And Helen is just like, no, we're going to deal with this now. And as this is happening... Madeline is like on the side of like a pillar just hearing all of this go down and it's at this point she's like oh okay they're co-conspirating I see so she literally is just so pissed off and just so mad she like claws the shit out of this pillar and you just see the claw marks from just her nails. So, Ernest is basically trying to tell Helen, like, listen, you need to go because she can't. Like, she can't hear this going on. I'll call you tomorrow. So, in trying to hush Helen, Ernest is like, you need to go. Like, I'm dead serious. Please leave. And as he's saying this, Madeline just walks downstairs. Is like, what are you guys talking about? And Helen is like, <gasps> and Ernest is like, darling, look, she's still alive. See? Oh, my God. And, she, and Madeline is just like, you guys are plotting some shit, aren't you? And it's just like one of those moments that she's just so like sly about everything. Like she just walks past them and just gives like such a bad vibe. And like we see Ernest like run to try to find her. And then he we realize that she's grabbed a gun from the gun cabinet. And he's like, oh my God. And by the time he gets to the foyer where Helen and Madeline are now... Madeline basically is like, you brought this on yourself, bitch, and just blows a hole through Helen, just shoots her across the foyer into this, like, pond, and it's just like, damn, she literally just killed this woman, like, right in front of Ernest. And it's at this point that Madeline is like, we're switching things up. You and I are going to bury this bitch in Death Valley. And if you are reluctant to do it, try me. I will play dead and you will go to jail. And you know what, Ernest? You know what they do to fat, bald, middle-aged Republicans in jail? Bad things. So he's like, okay, I guess I'm on your side. And so as they're like trying to set up the tarp to get her body out... They are just in their own world and don't even realize that Helen herself is waking up and becoming resurrected. And it's at this moment that like they look and just see her and we just see like the hole in her stomach and just Madeline and Ernest just sitting there like, oh shit, she's up. And Helen's just like, I have a hole in my stomach, you bitch. And Madeline's like, yeah, you're still alive. How the hell does that work? And she realizes that Helen has a pin that Liesl gave her. And she's like, okay, you took the potion too. And so they're like, how do you know about the potion? And it's just like this girl fight that just basically ensues over this potion. And it's at this moment that a fight basically breaks out. They grab shovels and they start just going at each other left and right. And Ernest is just like... You know what? I'm sick of this shit. You guys figure this out. I'm going to go upstairs and just do me. And a not-so-fun fact, I know we don't really have many of those, but in a not-so-fun fact, we learned that Meryl Streep accidentally scarred Goldie Hawn in this scene. Like, in the fight scene with the shovel, she actually hit her in the cheek and left a mark. So I feel that Goldie's probably, like, assessed that through cosmetic surgery. But yeah, in this scene, basically Meryl Streep actually hits Goldie in the face and scarred her. So, <sighs> ouch. 
But in a fun behind-the-scenes fact, the moment where Helen knocks Madeline's head and neck backwards, that scene was basically utilizing the same effect that was earlier in the movie with the blue hoodie. And ultimately, they put a prosthetic, like, cast head that was, like, animatronic behind Meryl Streep's character. So, like, ultimately, it looked like her neck was, like, snapped all the way back, and it basically said, like, the, damn, I just fixed this line. So, like, it was one of those things that, again, the movie magic in this movie, I see why they won an Oscar, because this movie is visually stunning in any type of capacity. So basically, these two were just hashing it out left and right, and they finally wear each other out, and they're just like, you know what, let's just admit what we did to each other and just call it a damn day. And it's in this moment we find out that they both have, like, afflictions that they wanted to cast upon each other. Like, we find out that Helen is like, I talk shit about you on purpose, and I basically was, like, talking crap about you to my friends and didn't invite you to my parties because I just... Didn't want to fuck with you like that. And just being really shady to her. And in turn, Madeline was like, I'm sorry that I hurt you by taking all of your, like, men and things that you wanted. Like, I know you wanted to be the cheerleader, and I'm sorry I took that. And I'm sorry about taking, like, all your boyfriends. And they kind of come to, like, a mutual apology at this point. Like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, let's just bygones be bygones. Because we're both dead at this point. There's nothing that we can really do to each other anymore, so... It's in this moment, after they kind of mutually, like, make up, they go upstairs to try to find Ernest, and Ernest is just packing his bag, and like, I'm leaving, like, y'all deal with it, I'm leaving, and they're just like, you can't leave, because we've made up, and we're friends now, and we need you, and please, and Ernest is just kind of, at like, this point, like, in order to, like, officially close my chapters with you, this is what I'm gonna do, he gives, like, an ultimatum of, like, I'll fix you and make you whole again, but after that, don't fucking look for me, don't ask about me, just forget you know me, forget I exist, and they're both just like, okay, I mean, it's not gonna be a problem for me, because we're over you, so he basically fixes them and makes them over, and is like, there, you're done, you're beautiful, I'm going to pack, leave me alone, and... As he's, like, packing, we see him, like, pull up pictures of, like, Madeline and his wedding and a picture of him and Helen, like, back in their, like, younger days. And he's just like, I'm so over it. Like, he just throws them away and just has no qualms about it. And as, like, he's packing, the girls are just luxuriating. And they're like, I'm so beautiful. Look at me. He does such good work. And they quickly realize that, oh, what if, like, we chip or fade or this? Like, what are we going to do? Like, we can't do this. So we need Ernest. So basically, they, they concoct a plan to be like, let's just take him to Liesl, give him the potion. He'll live forever. and He'll just continue to upkeep us. It's fine. He's an alcoholic. He'll drink it. No worries. So as he's getting ready to leave, they, like, walk in, like, hey, we brought you breakfast. Like, it's like a, a Bloody Mary or, like, I think it's, like, just gin or vodka. It's some, like, drink, basically. And they put drugs in it to try to drug him. And he's just like, you know what? Like, I wanted to be a good person and, like, till death do us part. But you know what? You girls are dead, and I'm moving on, so bye, girl. And, like, as he's, like, walking out, he just realizes that the only reason why I drank so much is because I had to deal with your bullshit, Madeline. But now I don't have to deal with that anymore. I don't need to drink anymore. So he basically just pours the drink out, which ruins the plan. So they're just like, nope. 
And they grab like a bunch of vases and just start smashing them over his head and just knocking the hell out. And it's just kind of one of those things like, well, it's not how we thought it was going to go, but plan B. So while I go see what they actually have for breakfast in this house, we're going to take one last break and we'll be right back. We are back. Now, Ernest got knocked out before the break, and he wakes up in a really nice, just white marble, like, pool room in this big mansion, and it's got, like, this, like, mosaic glass ceiling, which is really cool, and he's actually in a tuxedo. Like, this time, it makes sense as to why he's in a tuxedo, but before, it really didn't to me, but now, he's in a tuxedo looking all dapper, it's all black, and he looks, he looks handsome. And we see Liesl just swimming naked in this pool, just looking gorgeous and radiant. And she comes out of this pool and gets this, like, extremely, like, large popped collar robe type of, like, fantasy going on. And she's just looking still so gorgeous, mama. Like, literally, this is why they should cast Lady Gaga as this role if they ever make it. Because there's been so many rumors about them making a remake with Kate Hudson and Anne Hathaway for, like, so long. And they've been saying, like, oh, Gaga will play Liesl. I hope that if they ever were to make this movie into a reality, this remake a reality, baby, Lady Gaga is officially Liesl. My only thing, Hollywood, please make Gaga Liesl. So it's in this moment that Liesl basically presents Ernest with the potion, kind of in the same way she did with Madeline, like stabs him in the hand, then puts the, the knife in the potion and then shows them the, this hand's ugly, this hand's not trick. And as she's doing that, she kind of proceeds to like tell him about the benefits of this potion, that if you drink it, you could become a surgeon again and you could do amazing things. Just talking too fucking much, if you ask me. And she is just like, just going on and on and he's like buying into it and he gets it up to his mouth, about to take a sip and she's just like, Sempre vive! Live forever! And that just snaps him the fuck out of that trance. He's like, then what? Like, once I take this, then what? Like, to me, if she just shut the hell up and left it at, it'll help you become a surgeon again, and then told him after he drank it what was going to happen, it would have made more sense, but basically just talking too damn much. So it's at this point that Ernest is like, fuck this. Like, if I live forever, who am I going to hang out with? Helen and Madeline? Like, I'm going to have to, like, basically, like, watch everybody that I love die around me. And I just am still living. Which is a really, like, valid point. Because, honestly, I think eternal, like, youth would just suck. Especially if you're by yourself. Because you get to watch everybody around you die. And it just, it, it's just a sad situation. So I honestly, as fun as, like, eternal youth sounds. I don't think I would want eternal youth, like, in life. And in an attempt to try to escape, he grabs the knife that Liesl used to stab him with and just throws that at a power box, just shutting the power off the pool room. And it's at this point that he just bolts. And Liesl is just like, oh, it's fine. He ain't gonna get very far because he doesn't know where the hell he's going. Plus, he's old as hell, so he gets a head start kind of thing. And Ernest basically makes his way to the actual, like, party in, like, the grand ballroom. And he just sees all these, like, quote-unquote, like, celebrities and is, like, 
oh, there's Madeline Helen, and just tries to, like, you know, avoid him. And it's so funny because some of the quote-unquote notable characters or notable, like, celebrities that we see in this are interesting to see. So there's, like, Andy Warhol is there, Marilyn Monroe is there, Greta Garbo, because she wants to be alone, she's there. Uh, Elvis Presley's there, Jim Morrison, and I think I saw, like, James Dean in there, too. Like... Uh, like a handful of celebrities that are like, they've been dead for a second and, you know, but they're still alive, girl. And it's in that moment, too, that Helen and Madeline see that Ernest still looks like shit and has the actual vial still on him. And they're like, oh, we got to get him to take that potion because he's, this is the whole reason why we're here. So as he's like trying to maneuver out of the party, they start trying to get down to him. But he, lo and behold, finds like a secret door and it leads him to this like, elevator that's like a secret elevator to lord knows where but he ends up getting to that elevator and narrowly escaping the two dobermans because they almost take him out but he ends up getting to this elevator and basically getting up to this roof and in the moment it's like shit what are we gonna do because you're basically you're in the back of a mansion where you have no idea where you're going and then it's like it's a long drop down and to in a dark abyss that you don't even know what it's going to be. So at this point, Ernest is like, well, I need to figure something out. So he sees an exit sign across like this like roof, like paneling. So he realizes that the only way to get off of this roof is to make his way across this panel and get to the other side. So as he's doing that, Helen and Madeline just come busting through the door like, don't do it, don't do it. And he ends up slipping and his suspenders get caught on the rain duct and he's just dangling there by his suspenders kind of thing. And it's in this moment that the girls are like, well, hey, you have the potion still. Why don't you just drink it? And if you fall, you can put yourself back together and you'll be fine. Like, don't worry. Like, you won't die. And so, again, he gets it to his lips and is just like, you know, about to take it. And Madeline opens her goddamn mouth and is like, take it now! And he's like, no, I'm not doing this. And he basically drops it. And they're just like, seriously, you just dropped this potion? Like, A, we probably paid good money for that. But B, seriously... They are so mad. And they actually, like, give him this, like, dirty eye roll as his suspenders, like, break. And he just falls into this abyss of Lord knows where. And they're just like, whatever. And just goes back to the party. And it's just so funny to me because they both are just like, okay, well, there's that. So Ernest basically falls to his quote-unquote death. But he's actually saved by that glass mosaic that we saw earlier. And... It leads us to the pool. So he ultimately falls in the pool and is fine. And it's like one of those things that is so funny because he falls through like the mosaic and like one of the bodyguards is just like, hey, bro, like, are you going to be long? Like, I'm trying to get in the pool with this chick. And Ernest is like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm out. I'm getting the fuck out of here. Y'all do you and just leaves. And as he's, like, trying to, like, escape even further, he ends up taking a valet-parked car. And as he's doing that, he drives away. And as he's, like, driving away, they come running down the stairs, like, <gasps> and Lisa's like, you need to get him. You need to bring him back here now because he knows way too much. And a final sad little, like, fun fact for you. Lisa Von Ruman, a.k.a. Isabella Rosalini, 
She only has 12 minutes of screen time this entire film. Like, even though she was, like, a pivotal character, she only has, like, 12 minutes of, like, actual, like, screen time, which is crazy to me. So Madeline and Helen end up back at Madeline's guest house, and they realize that he didn't end up going there and that he is officially gone at this point. And they're just like well, I don't know what to do. And as they're like, kind of like in that moment, Madeline's skin rips and Helen's like, oh no, what are we going to do? And Madeline's like, well, I guess since Ernest isn't here, we're going to have to take care of each other and upkeep each other. And they start laughing about it. Like, cause I mean, it's kind of funny if you think about it, like, you know, we're going to spend forever, like painting each other's asses. Like you paint my ass, I paint your ass. It'll just be fun. And then they quickly realize that's not going to be as fun as we think it is. So so we flash forward, I would say maybe like 10, 20 years, and we see Ernest has officially died. And he is having a funeral for his entire family, which it didn't look like a lot in this cathedral like setting, but it was enough. But we see these two like just people in black and we quickly realize that it's Madeline and Helen in their glory. And in this funeral, we learn that Ernest went on to live a full life and he remarried and had six kids as well as a bunch of international adopted kids. And he also started a bunch of foundations that like were in the marriage counseling and like AA field, which were two things that I feel like he dealt with this entire movie. So good for him. But like I said, Madeline and Helen are just in the back, just cackling the whole time. Like the priest is just trying to give this eulogy and they're just cackling. And the whole congregation kind of like turns around and looks and they're just like, oh, sorry, my baby. (laughs) And it's funny because the priest also talks about how like Ernest was like a storyteller and he would tell stories of like the living dead in Beverly Hills as they're like walking out, which is really ironic that he says living dead because granted this movie is about like the undead and like zombies and stuff. They never used the word zombie or undead once in this movie, which is shocking to me after a rewatch. I figured they would have, but nope, those two words do not exist in this world. So as they are like walking out of this funeral, they're just bickering back and forth about, you lost a can of spray paint? Like, how could you lose a can of spray paint? It's fucking huge. Like, it's just stupid. Why is this happening right now? And they like literally like lift their veils and oh my God, they are messy. They look like melted mannequins, like melted lollipop like characters just melted. So basically, they are like, we're going to have to go to the the hardware store and get some more spray paint. And as they are like walking off the stairs, the spray paint is like on the stairs. So Helen goes to step down and actually falls on it. So she doesn't fall, but she kind of just hangs there, kind of like how Madeline did in the beginning. Just hang in there. And she's like, oh my God, grab my hand, help me. And Madeline is kind of like, oh, well, I could just kind of, you know, take you out at once kind of thing. And before she could even, like, consider pushing her, Helen just grabs her, and they both go flying down the stairs. Just body parts are flying left and right. Because at this point, since they're dead, like, their bones just aren't what they used to be. So they basically break into, like, a million pieces once they hit the pavement at the bottom of the stairs. And it is just, like, body parts are everywhere, and just, it's a mess. And we do see both of their heads that are both upside down at this point, And we get the infamous final line from Helen asking Madeline, 
do you remember where you parked the car? Because, baby, they're going to have a hell of a time getting to that supply store now. And that was Death Becomes Her. Thank you so much for listening. Like, again, I am having a blast doing these. And I feel like I do this for y'all more so for me. Because I love the fact that you listen and that you tune in each week. So I extend my love and gratitude every week. And I'm not quitting now. So thank you so much for being here, y'all. Next week, we are breaking away from the classic mode and we're getting O-Current. That's right, we are going into a no-spoiler review territory as I review the upcoming film Scream 6. Since I'll be attending the 3D fan event, I wanted to give like my overall like thoughts and my overall experiences of the movie and just what the 3D fan event was about and what I got. So we're going to basically sit down and discuss and review Scream 6. No spoilers here. It'll just be my honest opinions, thoughts, and just overall what I think of the film. And what better movie to have be episode 6 than Scream 6? Also, follow the podcast Instagram at Popcorn and a Popstar Pod to see visual reference content as well as other fun behind-the-scenes stuff. And as always, remember... Be kind to yourself, know that you're amazing, and when in doubt, glitter it out. Love you, bestie, and I'll see you next week for more Popcorn and a Popstar. Popcorn and a Popstar is not endorsed by any of the film production companies associated with the films viewed, and all opinions expressed during this podcast are for entertainment and comedic purposes only. Not all facts will be correct, but we attempt to be as accurate as possible. All names, pictures, audio, and media are registered trademarks and or copyrights of the respective trademarks or copyright holders, and is used solely for entertainment purposes only.